All right, Isaiah chapter 40. Let me give you some quick context. If you have your notes, you can see here. Isaiah, known as one of the major prophets. Malachi this morning, he's known as one of the minor prophets, but that is not because one is more important than the other. It, can, it only has to do with the size of the book. If you ever read the book of Isaiah, it's kind of long. Okay, this chapter is longer than maybe the whole book of Malachi. A major prophet written sometime around 792 to 687 B.C. When we were Malachi this morning, that would have been around 450, 460, 470 B.C. Why does that make a difference? Well, what's going on? Here's what's happening. You need the context to understand this chapter. Here's the context. The nation of Israel, as we talked about before, they were under King David. And as they were under King David, they flourished and they were very successful. He passed the kingdom on to Solomon, his son, who was ruling and reigning. And again, one of the, the, other than Jesus, the wisest man ever, but he made a lot of mistakes as well. As the kingdom gets passed on from him, the kingdom divided. And we saw again that northern and southern kingdom, the ten tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south. Well, those ten tribes to the north, they were known as Israel, and they had their own capital city. And the two tribes to the south, they were known as Judah, and they had their own capital city. And the different prophets would come to tell them to repent. Well, Isaiah was one of those prophets who came to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. However, what's interesting about his book is the first 39 chapters is his prophecy about really what's happened and calling them to repentance. And it talks about the northern kingdom and how they have fallen. The Assyrians came in and have wiped them out. And he's explaining, he's talking about sin and he's talking about judgment. And he's saying, this is what came because you did not obey the voice of your God. But then there's a shift, and sometimes it's actually considered book two in Isaiah in chapter 40, which we're going to be in tonight. And what he starts to talk about is he actually starts to talk about the, Ju the, the tribe of Judah or Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, as if they're already in captivity in Babylon, but that hasn't happened yet. So from this point forward, the mentality is, as we're going to read in chapter 40, is that they're God's people have been taken by the Babylonians, and they're speaking as if they are already taken, but it hadn't happened yet. So why, why is it helpful? Well, he was prophesying about what would happen, and I think it's helpful for us as we work through it. So hopefully tonight we can find hope in this passage. Ready? Buckle up. All right, let's work through the verse, or through all the verses, and we're going to see how this may be helpful. Again, on your, out, on your notes, I did an outline for you that roughly tells you how this chapter is broken up. And so as we go through, you can use that to track along. Book two, if you will, in the book of Isaiah, and here's how it starts. Chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The even ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. 
And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. First few verses here, what he's starting off, he's talking to his prophets, and he's saying they've been in, in the Babylonian captivity, and he's talking about sin and judgment, but whereas the first 39 chapters of this book were talking about basically what they were going to get for their sin, from 40 onward, it's talking about the restoration that's to come. The fact that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to make things right. So he tells his prophets, speak tenderly to them. They have been taken away. They are under this captivity. Speak tenderly to them. Her iniquity is pardoned. And then that, some of that may have been familiar to you, especially in verse 3. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The voice cries out. Who is that? Anyone know? John the Baptist. Good. Gold stars for everybody. And he's to come. And that's what the, the prophet would do. He would come and he would proclaim in such a way to make the path straight to salvation. To make the path straight for the promised one to come behind. That was John's job. Come and make the path straight. Preach repentance and prepare the hearts. Some of those words there in verse 4 should sound familiar. We've, sing some, we've sung some of these songs. And how long, O oh Lord, that song that we sing together? Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain made low. You see this, this imagery here. The ground shall become level. The rough places plain. Why? Because the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. So those first two sections, like on your notes, outline. The prophets need to comfort God's people and preparations need to be made. Okay. Preparations for what? What's going to happen? Verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the fl flower fades, but the word of our God stands. How long? Forever. Isaiah in writing here says, The Lord is coming. The glory of the Lord is coming. The path is made straight. And even though humans, we go away quickly. God's word will stand forever. Part of what I want to encourage you with this evening is that you can hope in his word. We read that earlier. We hope in Christ and we hope in his word. That's going to be a theme throughout this. Why can you hope in his word? Because his word is eternal. It's eternal and so it's timeless. And so that means that his word is always timely for you. Whatever you're going through, it stands People will come and go, but his word stands forever. So it transitions from talking about his word and how do we learn about God? It's from his word. Now it's going to transition to the greatness of God. Listen carefully. Verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. We were singing it. Look to your God. Go up to the cities and look to your God. Don't look around you. If you look around you, you will be discouraged. You will be depressed. But you have to behold your God. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might. Listen to some of this language. Listen to the greatness of your God. His, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. It talks about this powerful God in his arm and how strong it is. And that same God will carry you tenderly. It's incredible. He's going to continue on just to show how great your God is. And why is that important? Because listen carefully to me. One theologian said it like this, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. What you think about God dictates everything in your life. And if you have a small God in your mind who's not really in control, then I'll tell you what, this is a scary time right now. But if your God is on his throne and he is ruling and he is reigning and he does all that he pleases and he works everything for your good and for his glory, then guess what? It's not as scary. When sickness comes, either God is sovereign or he is not. When death comes, he's either defeated death or he hasn't. But if he has, then death has no sting for us anymore. And he has defeated death. Look at more of what he says, starting in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All the earth, all the waters, he has it in his hand just a little bit. You go out and stand next to the water out there and you go, wow, this is big. You go to the Grand Canyon and you say, whoa, that's big. You look at the mountains, that's big. And they are something small in his hand. And he marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and hills in the balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? How many of you have, tr have tried to counsel the Lord on what he should be doing? Just so you know, he doesn't need it. Just putting that out there for you. He really doesn't need your thoughts on it. But if you have a small view of God, you might think he does. You ever done this? You ever said, well, I don't really like to, to pray about these things. I don't want to burden God with something else, especially something of mine, something small. Do you think that the God who is sovereign over all, knows everything, doesn't learn anything, is burdened by your prayer or your need? He doesn't get burdened. That's how big he is. Has everything in his hand. Doesn't need counsel from anybody. Look at verse 14. Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who is it that God went to to say, help me understand what justice is? Answer? Nobody. Nobody goes to God and tells him. Look at 15. We read this as a family. 15, 16, and 17 were just, wow. Behold, the nations, those very nations who have taken God's people and they were mistreating God's people. Here's what he says. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. You see how he's, Isaiah is showing us the place of these nations that are ruling over his people? He says they're dust. Nothing compared to our God. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like a fine dust. Put that little emphasis there. Fine dust. Lebanon. Lebanon at the time had the largest trees. 
They were a, a great nation, a great place, and they had these huge, huge trees, the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offerings. Nothing. Even the, the place with the biggest trees wouldn't be enough firewood. All the beasts that run through the forest wouldn't be enough for our God. He's that big. All the nations, look at this, are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. But China might do this. Nothing before our God. We've got to keep our eye on Russia. What's going to happen? Nothing before our God. Our God is over all the nations, including this one. And so when he says all the nations are dust, I love you, but you're dust. I'm dust. We're dust. Now here's what's remarkable. Is even though as he's talking here to show how big our God is, that we are just dust to him, that same God is the one who loves you, the one who has pursued you, that sent his son to die for you. So you are like, Really loved dust. You want to think about, I don't know who I am, God. Just say, I'm loved dust. There you go. You are loved dust. What's the reminder? You are loved by this great God who is over everything. You are loved by him, but also don't forget how great he is. And you don't need to tell him what he needs to do. You need to worship him. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with it, with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for, in silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He's saying, instead, people were worshiping these little things that they were making. He's saying, people are going to them, and that's what they want to worship? These things that are made, they don't move, they don't talk, they don't do anything? Now, you may not have those idols in your life, but do you have something else that you worship? Here's what God would say. Don't worship those silly things. Worship him. Look at this, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Yeah, that means sphere. Remember how for a long time they thought the earth was flat? Just read the Bible. All they had to do was read the Bible. They didn't have to argue about that. Isaiah was talking about it right here. He who sits above it and its habitants are like grasshoppers. <laughs> Love you. You're a grasshopper. You ever been called, hey, little grasshopper? Again, but yet with great love. But it's to show us just how big our God is. Because again, the bigger your God is, the bigger that you see him, the more that you can worship him. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Just imagine it, just stretching out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. I'm not sure if that guy's going to be the president. I don't know. Not before your God. Don't worry about it. Trust. Do all that you can as we talked about before. You vote, you do this, you do that. But ultimately realize before our God, they're nothing. 
Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, look at this, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Next time you get nervous about what's going on or somebody who's in a high position, just picture that. God blows on them and they wither and go away. You can trust your God. Verse 25, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You know, he says, go out and look at the stars. You get overwhelmed and you're not sure, things feel out of control, go out and look at the stars and say, wow, I can't even see them all. And he has them all named and he makes sure that none are lost. They come out because he says, come out. That's your God. That's the one then whom we hope. Why do you say, O Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nation of Israel, we talked about that. So again, God's people, just keep that in mind. And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Do you hear what they're saying? God doesn't see me. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see what's going on. Now, after what we've been just told, is that true? Not even close. Why do they say it? Have you not known? I love this, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I'm so thankful he doesn't grow weary. I'm thankful he's never tired. He doesn't need to sleep. He's always paying attention when you wake up at 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning and you've all done it and you're worried about something. He's still right there. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You can go to him and he will give you wisdom. You can ask him anything. And if it's for you to know, he'll teach you. And if you don't need to know, he'll give you the grace to accept that too. The Lord is the everlasting God, it said. Now, that's your God. That's the power of his word that endures forever. The last few verses is what you're to do. Here's the last few verses, and this is what you're to do. He gives power to the faint, verse 29. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. You ever been there? You ever been where you just say, I'm just so tired? I just can't go on anymore with this stuff. Whatever it is you have going on in your life and you're weary, there's a power that comes from Him that He's willing to give to you. Verse 29 again, He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even youth's shall faint and be weary, and a young man shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And now here's your popular verse that you've seen on bumper stickers or in coffee cups or at just about every graduation ceremony there's ever been. Now we have the context for this verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you want to be those who are up on on the wings of eagles? Not fainting, not growing weary? Here's the key to it. Wait for the Lord. On your notes here, I tried to summarize this. This is talking about hoping in God, because that's ultimately what we're doing. Those who put their hope or their trust in God. How do you do that? You trust the things that He says in His Word, that those things are true, and you are waiting for Him to fulfill them. You're hoping in Him and His Word. Not, and listen carefully, some of you out there, not in your own plans or your own understanding. Part of waiting on the Lord is reading His Word and taking Him at His Word instead of trying to go do it yourself. Any of you struggle with the whole waiting thing? How many of you, how many of you desire patience? Y'all want patience? Y'all want it right now? <laughs> we do, don't we? I want patience, Lord, and I want it right now. Because we're not patient. Exactly. And then we'll say this. You'll hear this all the time, and you may have said it. Oh, don't ask for the Lord to teach you patience. He'll bring some things in your life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's supposed to come out of Christians. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's the fourth one. Oh, don't ask for patience. Wait, don't you want to walk in step with God's Spirit? Don't you want to be more like Jesus? Then yes, you want patience. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. You can't make yourself be more patient. You have to rely on God's Spirit to do that. How do you do that? You wait. You trust in His Word. You trust in what He's saying. And what He gives you is a supernatural strength. You can't explain it any other way. That's what it's talking about. This great God who's over everything, powerful and mighty, you have to wait on Him to give you this strength. You have to wait on Him to give you this patience. God, give me more patience. Help me to wait on You. Good. Walk in step with my spirit. Pray. Be with God's people. Be in the Word. And wait. And more and more patience will come. And as you wait, He will give you strength. There is strength in the waiting. Brothers and sisters, that's one of the hardest things for us. The only way that you can do it is you have to see God for who He is. That's what Isaiah has done. Notice where this comes. It's at the end of the passage. You have to see how great He is. See how powerful He is. And say, you know what? I can trust you. I can wait. I can put my hope in you, in your word, and I can wait And Lord, help me to continue to wait. And as you wait, then this happens. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're feeling down, wait on the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen?